I've worked with so many different populations and I've never seen a group of people, age, race, whatever, that doesn't respond well to time outside. Like it just works. Yeah. And, I, and, and that's the driver for me is that I know I'm not inventing anything. I am certain to the, my very core that time outside makes people feel better. This is the Nature Untold Podcast, and I'm your host, Emily Holland. This podcast is about all kinds of sobriety, addiction, recovery, as they intersect with the outdoor community and industry. Welcome to the show. This podcast is sponsored by UST Gear. UST's goal is to inspire and cultivate people's love of all things outside. They rebranded recently, and with their new vision, their focus is to create gear that allows everyone to get outdoors. Between their reliable and durable tents, sleeping pads, and sleeping bags, with UST, you'll be snuggly and warm on all those upcoming camping adventures. I have the Filmatic sleeping mat and it is absolutely legendary for camping and random days where you want to cuddle with your dog in your home on a comfy mat. What? Just me? Anywho, UST has also refocused their values. They're focused on sustainability, inclusion and diversity, respect, and creative and beautiful storytelling. UST wants outdoors to be inviting for all. Everyone everywhere outdoors check them out at ustgear.com or on instagram at ustgear hello you beautiful people and welcome back to the nature untold podcast it's emily holland we're back season two we're here we made it this is incredible I just first want to start by saying that I'm so thankful for you for being here with me again. This is so exciting. I'm just stoked to be back. This episode is special. It's a special one for me. It's with John Totten. He is a phenomenal human being. I think you're really going to come away with a lot from this. John is an outdoor educator, a guide, a nonprofit founder, and just in general, he is a seeker. He grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin, quickly moved to Idaho when he turned 18, and he's been working and adventuring in the outdoor world ever since. So he is not one to be put in a box, though. He's a river guy. He's a mountain guy. He's a sailboat guy. And he's incredibly introspective and thoughtful. He just founded Dog Smile Adventures, and he's going to tell us a little bit about that in this particular episode. I did want to give you a heads up. He's a sailboat guy. He was in his sailboat when we did this interview. So you might hear some sounds that sound like lapping waves. That's because they are lapping waves, or at least that's how I picture them. So sorry about that. We did the best with the sound, but I think you can still take away all the goodness that John has to offer from this episode. Thanks for coming back for season two. We're so excited about what we have in store this season, and it all kicks off with John Totten. Please enjoy this interview.
Welcome back to the Nature Untold podcast. We have John here. How are you, John? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing, Emily? Good. I always ask that as if we haven't been talking already for 10 minutes and (laughs) we've caught up on a few things, but you just recently celebrated a birthday. And how was that for you? Wow, it was uh, it was good. It was. uh, Yeah, I turned 41 yesterday. It uh, it happened. (laughs) um, That's about it. It's another page turned. So, yeah, yeah, a good day. Awesome. Well, I always like to start with sort of an introduction to you and who you are, but I like you to kind of answer that question of who is John Totten. So go ahead and and introduce yourself or describe yourself for our listeners. Okay. Well, I'm a Gemini. (laughs) Can do the math. Same. Strength in numbers, right? Yep. Two of each of us. Mm. So anyway, I grew up in Wisconsin on a dairy farm. I moved to Idaho when I was 18 and found my way into what's turned into a over 20-year career as an outdoor educator and guide. I've worked in a multitude of environments now. I've been very fortunate to work in the mountains and the desert and uh, deep wilderness, a lot of white water, rivers, lakes, and, uh, and, this, and a lot of time at sea with a bunch of different populations, um, little kids, elderly, you name it, family groups, um, all kinds of different people. Um, I spent most of my career in campus recreation, running um, an outdoor recreation department at a community college. That was the lion's share of my career. I've also worked as a commercial guide and have most recently made the transition into therapeutic recreation and uh, launched a nonprofit therapeutic sailing program just in the last eight or nine months. Yeah, so just a career outdoor educator and instructor and guide and and I feel at this point a strong evolution into more of a healer to be honest mm. um, I'm starting to evolve out of desire to teach basic skills um, I'm certainly evolved out of the desire to take people on vacation that's gone um, <laughs> yeah and and now I want to take people outside with the sole intention of helping them feel better. Yeah, and I'm sure yeah. that's an outcome of a lot of the guiding that you did anyways, but it's like all this labor to get to that starting point of then the the healing and the realizations. And I imagine in traditional guiding, like you're talking about with vacation, I would assume a lot of the reflections happen when they get home or as they're leaving. So you don't even really get to see, you know, how your guiding had an impact on them. Yeah, I think so. I think the difference between even an educational setting or a commercial guide setting and what I want to do now is intention. Is mm. that from the get-go, we are saying that what we are here to do is heal. Mm. And while yes, there is a mountain of healing that happens on these other trips and in every capacity almost, I would argue, in the great outdoors, there has been I've witnessed um, a ton of healing and what, and that's what's driven me uh, because I know that it happens, but it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always uh, happen while the trip is going on, like you mentioned. And so I feel like I want to maximize the healing effect. And I believe the key to that is intention. Hmm. I love that. I think that's really impactful, honestly. And and what, I feel like I'm trying to do all the time. So just a good reminder that you can just lead with that (laughs) 
and that's okay. And it doesn't always need to be all this like administrative logistical stuff to get in the way. I mean, that stuff is important too, right? But the intention needs to be there. We'll talk a little bit more about dog smile in a little bit, but I want to kind of take it back to 18 year old headed to Idaho. Was the intention to start guiding or was it just to be in a different landscape? What was the impetus for, for going to Idaho in the first place? Number one, I was 18 and just wanted to get off the farm. I, you know, I had this iconic, not iconic, but very um, lovely childhood was mm. very wholesome and safe and never wanted for anything and and but um there was a, a concern I was like well do I want to be a farmer I'm not sure you know mm. I didn't know and I luckily had some great advice from uh from one of my dad's friends who said you need to go you need to get out of here for a little while you can always come back but he said you know you need to go get some perspective get go somewhere for a few years, go, go live and run around and, and you can always come back. And, and, and then I looked at him and I said, well, where should I go? And he, and he said, you should go to Idaho. This man, Stephen Frederick was name. He very directly said, you should go to Idaho. I think you'll love it. Steve had gone to the university of Idaho after Vietnam. And he's like, go out there. You'll, you'll, you'll be great. And uh, about two months after that conversation, Steve died. That man died of a of a massive heart attack, and I never that was the last conversation of substance I had with him. And he had had a huge impact on my life. Steve used to take us on uh, canoe trips in the Boundary Waters. Introduced me to what a guide was. I remember a trip very specifically. We watched a group cross the portage in a lake up there, and there were all matching canoes and all matching life jackets. And it all looked very organized. And then I looked at our yard sale that was on the other side of the lake <laughs> and there was just stuff everywhere. And there were, and I noticed there were two people in that group that didn't look like the rest of the group. And I was like, Steve, what's going on over there? And he says, well, that's a guided group. And I was like, what is that? I just assumed that everyone did what we were doing. And he said, no, there's two, there's two guys over there getting paid to take these people on this trip. And I was like, what? You could do that? I, and and he's like, yeah. And then he looked right at me. This guy had a lot of impact on me. He looked right at me. He goes, yeah, you should do that, John. You'd like that. <laughs> Turns out he was right. And uh, so, yeah, I moved to Idaho. Um, didn't know a soul all by myself and showed up at the University of Idaho and immediately fell into the outdoor recreation program. I was in the College of Natural Resources, and I wasn't exactly sure what angle I was going to take at the time. And then I, I did a pre-freshman orientation backpacking trip that changed my life. Mm. And I met some of the people that would then become the some of the most influential mentors I've, I've had on that trip. And they plugged me into the outdoor program and phew, off I went. Yeah. Oh, I love these little moments of Steve telling you these little things, right? When you're a kid still, you know, and they just get locked in your brain and they become part of your overall fabric of your journey. And I just love those little moments. So thank you for sharing that with us. Really beautiful. So before we go any further, I do want to just define your uh, definition of sobriety, because I do think that's important to just lay the foundation um, before we talk more about your story and, and what you've been through. So um, can you tell us a little bit about 
how you define your sobriety. And then we can talk a little bit about how you came to sobriety as well. Yeah. My, my definition of sobriety at this point is just complete abstinence from drugs and alcohol. It's pretty simple by definition. I am an addict and my, you know, my definition of an addict is the loss of control. When the substance is in control and you're not, you're addicted. That is my definition. And so I, I'm not sure at what point I turned the corner and became an addict. That's a really hard thing to define, but I started uh, drinking alcohol with vigor when I was 15 and progressed and didn't start using drugs until much later, uh, a little bit in college, but really after college. And I got sober when I was 39. And so I spent 24 years, which is still over half of my life, using and drinking um, a lot. I mean, more days than not in that time, I would say. And it got to a point where I just, I, I, I found a bottom. I got, I got, I had a, a really dark year and luckily I cracked in the right place at the right time. And I asked for help and, and some dear friends were there and they helped me to start this journey, which is a hell of a deal. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. I've been all over the world and done some pretty fun shit and pretty scary and extreme and all kinds of exposure. There's nothing like it. So <laughs> holy cow. Um, it's, a, it's a ripper for sure. Um, but yeah, that would be, I guess, my definition. I think it's interesting to think about time spent with alcohol and drugs. I think about this a lot too. How does it feel for you when you think about 24 years, it's a very long relationship, right? That you had with alcohol and drugs. Like when you reflect on that, how does that feel? Well, I'll be honest. I try not to um, because it does feel good. Uh, you know, the, the, the reality is that we only have so much time and we don't know how much time we're going to get. And so I hate to define it in the way that, though I spent this much, this ratio, and even when I say over half my life, I don't like that, you know, yeah. but it's still the truth. And so I don't think it's a bad thing to write it down and to contemplate it, but also I have to very intentionally not dwell on it. Mm. And even with, you know, with the sober community, uh, there are there's some folks that really focus on clean time and that uh, really hold tightly to that number. And I've seen that backfire for people um, in a big way if yeah. they relapse. And, and uh, so it's this loss. And so it's kind of the same thing, really, just on the other side of the coin. And so I've gotten to the point now where if somebody asks me how long I've been sober, I just tell them all, all day, man, I woke up this way. Um, and, I love that. <laughs> and, and I don't worry about it, you know. Uh, so I try not to dig into that time piece too much because the reality is, is that it's it's um, it's done. It happened, and I mm. can't change it. Um, I would love it if that number was shorter, but I can't make it shorter. Yeah. So all I can do is say, "I'm sober today," and off we go. <laughs> Been sober since I woke up, so that's good. <laughs> I know I always say like besides my family obviously that have known you since you were born it's the longest relationship I've ever had with anything or anyone um and so it's just interesting I think to think about that but I think you're right I think the time spent doesn't necessarily indicate 
wounds healed as far as time spent in sobriety. I think oftentimes, like to your point, you know, it's awesome if you can get further along. I think that's an indication of like continuous growth and learning, but it not it is not always the case that that is true, right? Thank you for sharing how you feel about it. I think it's just something to, to think about as far as like how you deem your sobriety or your recovery or healing journey successful. It's kind of yeah, hard to- Yeah, I think it's important yeah. not to associate um, quality with duration. Yeah. value with duration of anything. Um, I've had experiences that were very brief that blew my hair back and would mm. change my life. And other- experiences that were long and slow and seemingly a waste of time in the end and so i just i i think that those are things that i have learned to separate through this actually through this i've learned a lot through this that's one of the many things that i've learned to contemplate separating those things and saying that quality and duration are not necessarily associated Mm, that's so powerful. So is there certain things that you think about when you think about like um, recovery being successful? Like it, I assume there's no like goal post, right? I don't look that look at life that way either, where it's like, I will be sober when I'm this. <laughs> but are there certain things you try to do on like a weekly or monthly basis or try to pay attention to rather that are like, okay, I'm getting the hang of this or like I'm growing in this way or or whatever, you know, however you're deeming your path successful. I hate that word, but that's really, I think, what I'm getting at. Well, I think the definition of success is how you feel right now. There's no other, there's no other definition. I mean, the, the, this moment is, is, a, is largely a product of what's happened, everything, right, before. And so if I'm looking at it in the context of recovery or anything else or my work, my family life, my relationships, whatever it is, the only way that I can define success is how I feel in this moment. Because mm. it's all cumulative. There's, I don't think it's really possible to single out any one element of your life on its own, because that's just not real. Yeah. All things are happening at the same time. And so why bother? I just don't. I, I'm just like, hey, good. I feel pretty good. Are there, you know, cause, because they... Along the sober path for me was a ton of regret and it was a bear to wrestle. And it took me a long time to let go of things that I had done and stop kicking my ass and tune in to being like, God, I feel great. And I feel great in lieu of all that shit that happened. Yeah. That is a fact. And so I just, I, I don't line item in. I'm like all the things that were went well and all the things that I could have done better have gotten me into this moment and I feel pretty good. So whatever, well, there it is. I love that way of looking at it. Something that happened recently that we talked about is sort of a full circle moment. And there, there seems to be a lot of these that I've been finding as I've gotten sober, <laughs> but I would love for you to talk about yours. So you had some experience with treatment centers when you were going through, you know, coming to terms with all of this. And you just had the opportunity to go back to a treatment center that you had spent time in and speak to the group that's there now. So can you tell us a little bit about that full circle moment and how that felt and what you're able to glean from that? 
Yeah, when I uh, decided to make this change, I made my way to the Denver Recovery Center, um, just outside of uh, Denver, Colorado, and checked myself into a 30-day inpatient uh, treatment program. Um, uh, BRC, as it's called, was uh, highly recommended by a one of my best friends. Um, went to graduate school with the folks that got this place going, and she said, "If you can get in there, John, you should go there." And um, they have a very holistic approach. And uh, with that, it's when it, picking a treatment center is, a bear, is another thing that's really difficult. And and I hadn't, I had never done it before and wasn't sure what to do. And luckily yeah. I had this direct recommendation, but I knew that, you know, I'm not a specifically religious person. So a lot of programs are wrapped up in a, in that angle. And there's a lot of, there's just that every program's got its own philosophy. This one being holistic was, was great. We did, uh, group therapy, we did individual therapy, we meditated, we did yoga, we hiked in the mountains, we uh, did a lot of AA, NA, CA meetings. And so there was just a little bit of everything. And that really worked for me. And I, I owe my big part of how I feel right now, my happiness uh, to the Denver Recovery Center, that program worked for me. And when I was in there, it's a 30 day deal. And it's when I, when I reflect on it now, it's pretty much, it's a blur. Like it, it, there's not much of it that stands out. I can remember the first night staring at the ceiling, hmm. you, know, you know, 39 years old. And there's, I'm sharing a small bedroom with a stinky guy named Dan and he's snoring. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like life has gotten a little interesting here. And, um, but also I remember very specifically a day when a, a guy came in to speak to the group who was an alumni of the program and he had about a year clean ish. And so, you know, wasn't a polished speaker didn't work there and just came in and shared his story and it it rocked me it was really honest and very vulnerable and the only reason that guy was there what i thought at the time was that they had called him and you know like, hey asked him as a favor to us now having been that guy he didn't do that for us he did it for himself Mm. that it just, it had a huge impact on me. And I said to myself, when I left that place, if I ever have the chance, I'm going to go back in there and I'm going to be that guy. I want to do that. Um, mm. And fast forward a year and a half later, um, this is only like a month ago. I, um, I had that opportunity. I was going to be in Colorado for a instructor training. And I thought, you know what, I'm passing through. I'm going to do this. And so I called the place and uh, the staff was over the moon. I don't think they get a lot of folks that are just like, Hey, I want to come in and talk to the, to the group. And it was a, it was a, it was a heavy deal walking back in there. Um, you know, and, and it also, it forced me to write down my story. I'd never shared like my sober journey ever from start to finish. I hadn't ever done that. And so it forced me to, write that down, which was really healthy and um, an interesting, very reflective process. And then I got to share that with mm -hmm. the current group and I could see myself in one of those chairs. It was, it was heavy. And the, the, the current patients, the current residents, I should say, 
they had lots of questions and they responded really well. And I, I've been in front of people for years. I'm not, I'm, I'm very comfortable speaking to groups. This one was loaded. Uh, this is different. And, um, but it was, it was a beautiful thing. And I, I came away from it feeling like I just won the game. You know, it was, I, I was like fist pumping down the highway with the windows down, like full Jerry Maguire. Like I don't give a shit who sees me. Like I was so pumped. Yeah. When I came out of there and, and in reflection, it's like I, the takeaway for me was just like how far I've come. And it really forced me to reflect on like where I'm at now compared to where I, when I was sitting in one of those chairs on the other side of that, and it was, um, mm. yeah, full circle, beautiful, lovely thing. And I, I will never stop doing that. I'm going to keep going back there as long as that place is open. I, it was and and like I mentioned, it 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 wasn't it wasn't that I don't care about these people. I do, but that was it's an incredible feeling. It's hard to describe how good that felt, you know. And I spent a lot of time in my life trying to feel good and using chemicals to get there, and trying to figure out the right combination of this or that at the right time to in order to feel better. And it feels so good to have discovered a much better way to feel real good. And I'm just like, I want to do more of that. Yeah, man, I'm getting so emotional with you just talking right now, like the the full circle-ness of it. I mean, that's not a word, but let's go with it for the sake of this. (laughs) Like, oh, that is just the good stuff in humanity, isn't it? Like those moments where you get to feel that alive. Man, I'm so happy that you were able to do that. And I mean, it, it's it's almost confusing in a way sometimes I found in this sober life that this like joy will come up randomly throughout, you know, the weeks or months or days. And, and it's con- it's confusing, right? Like bubbles up out of you and you're kind of like, wait, 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 <laughs> where is this coming from? Why do I feel like a kid again? Is this okay? Do you ever have that feeling where you're like, what is going on right now? Why am I so elated that I never have when I was sober or when I was drinking rather? I don't know if you've had those experiences outside of this full circle moment where you're like erupting, you know? Yeah, I have. It's actually something that I'm really tuned into right now. You know, a big part of this program, you know, I, I, I don't really headlong into AA and there's a strong there's a strong Christian undertone with AA. It's not specifically a Christian program, but there's a strong undertone and they use the word God and so on. And as I've kind of explored my own spirituality, I've really, uh, it's still a work in progress for sure. But but one thing that really impacted me, um, have you ever read the book, The Alchemist? Yeah. yeah. And so the, the part about the, uh, the part that I, I reread it, you know, in this process a while back and, and the process in there where, where or the piece where, where the author says, you know, pay attention to the things that go well or the moments when you feel really good, because if you're on the path, the universe will go out of its way to keep you on the path. And the trick for me is noticing mm. and acknowledging the times when I feel really good or if I say wow I just really got lucky or I caught a break there I'm like well did I really did I really get lucky did I really catch a break or is maybe that a nudge from the universe saying do more of this go do more of that and I I think that where I was falling short was focusing on 
you could do this better. You shouldn't have done that. Do this better next time. Instead saying, wow, that felt great. Or I, I thought I've had moments, especially this year, where I'm like, I cannot believe how fortunate I am right now. Like that just came out of nowhere and saved the day, whatever. And it's like, but did it come out of nowhere? I'm not sure where it came from. And I'm not going to try to define that certainly not in this conversation but the the takeaway for me is is to tune in and acknowledge when i feel good or i feel right and sit with it a little bit so what am i doing what was my intention in that moment and to continue keep doing that and not worry about what i'm not going to ever do again and instead say i'm going to do more of this like and it's yes. such a shift. It's a huge shift. But but it's yeah, it's just the kind of the way I'm trying to to walk the path. I love it. It's this it's just slight reframings, right? It's just slight changes in your how you talk to yourself, how you think thoughts and how you feel feelings. So all of that is is to a certain degree under our control, right? And I think that's really a good reminder for folks that like everything is reframable. I'm making up all kinds of words today, but that is another one I'm making up. (laughs) Um, I don't know if it's made up, but we'll go with it. Everything is reframable. And I, I think that's a really important you know, lesson from, from this conversation and from seemingly your, your journey as well. So thank you. I want to kind of tap into something you said about, like you've talked about, you know, 12 step programs, you've talked about this treatment center. How do you find community nowadays within sobriety or, or is that not necessarily something that's part of your overall journey? You know, when I first uh, got out of treatment, I, AA was the way for me. I went to, I, I, I retreated home to Wisconsin. I'm very fortunate that I have that uh, safety net of my family. And I went and moved in with my, moved into my dad's basement on Poets, straight out of rehab, 39 years old, like tail between my legs. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't write this, you couldn't make this up, you know? And uh, I was going to meetings four or five days a week in Black River Falls, Wisconsin. And that was my fellowship and I had a sponsor and I worked the program and that was my, you know, my sober crew. And that's who I talked about this stuff with. And then I left when I felt like I was ready to leave the nest again and uh, take on the world as a, as a sober John. Um, I've heard, I haven't been to very many meetings since, to be honest, because mm. of the virus. COVID shut it down. And so meetings kind of stopped. And I'm very fortunate that my sponsor in Wisconsin taught me in a very important lesson. He said, you know, there's AA has two legs, the program and the fellowship. The program, this guy was a sugar junkie. He's funny. He's like, the program is the cake and the fellowship is the icing. He said, you got to learn to live on the program because you may not always have icing. You you might not always be able to find a meeting. And, And if you lean on that fellowship too hard, you're in trouble when the moment you can't have it. And that was a really incredible lesson that he taught me. And so I've never felt like I needed to go to meetings. I've always just gone to meetings because I enjoy it. I get so much out of it. I I love to learn from other people and share and, and listen and and so on. But the reality is that day to day, it's not necessary for me. So regarding the connection piece, it's really been pretty organic. I've, I've um, decided to be public about my sobriety. I've shared my journey online and, and people have reached out 
from old friends to friends with friends to complete strangers. And I've had just some beautiful conversations with people and um, found that connection there. And that seems to be enough in the fellowship piece. Like I don't, it's just, it's not a definition of who I am. I, I, I'm a sober guy. I choose to be that way, but it's really just a small part of, of, uh, of who I am. And so I'm, I'm not feeling like I need to be a member of the sober club to wear the, <laughs> wear the patch on my vest as I ride down the road. I don't, I, it's not, um, I don't identify with it like that. Yeah. And I'm really happy that I don't because that dependency piece is dangerous as we know in all mm. aspects of life. Right. Um, yeah. And so, and, and especially in this one, I I've seen, and unfortunately a lot of people have relapsed this year yeah, because the meetings are gone. It's not the only reason, that's for sure, but it is a factor. And yeah. I'm really happy that that's not me, that I'm not one of them. Yeah, absolutely. You talked a little bit about sharing and being outspoken with your story, which I think is really awesome when people can do that. And obviously, like, does a ton of stuff. It destigmatizes the conversation. It normalizes the conversation. It offers more humanity or uh, an example for other people. But that can be kind of a process for some folks. And not to say that everyone needs to be out saying, like, I'm sober. Look at me, you know, but it is kind of a decision process. So did you go through a a time where you were like, do I want to share? Do I not want to share? You know, you're coming from the guiding world and, and is there, was there any worries about those relationships? So just wondering about your thinking as you started to share more publicly about your process. Yeah, that's a great question. And it was tough for me. I had a huge amount of fear around sharing my story sharing my my you know decision to get clean in the process and i was going to do it then i wasn't going to do it and i was back and forth and how and what do you say and and i was really kind of a mess and uh very fortunate that my my network uh reached out to me when i needed them as they tend to do uh i have a dear friend who happened to live in Denver. And when I got through, when you completed, uh, I forget what it was, three weeks of the program or something, you were allowed to leave with a, you know, with a, a friend or family member, you could leave the, the facility mm. if you'd checked all the boxes, if you'd done all the things. And so I had done that and I reached out to this friend and she came and picked me up and we went on a short hike and sat and had coffee and, um, she didn't know that I was in treatment until I called her like the day before. And um, so my friend, she is a, she at the time was battling and uh, is near the end of her battle with cancer. She said breast cancer. And she was in treatment at the time and just working hard to stay alive. And um, we sat for coffee and she had been very vocal online about her journey with cancer. She had posted photographs of her body and like she's all in on sharing her journey. And I was like, you got to help me because I, I see what you're doing and I, I, I love it, but I am so afraid to do this. And she just looked at me and said, well, what are you afraid of? She 
didn't have a lot of hair. She had bags under her eyes, which is someone I've known and I've cared about for a long time. And, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, what am I so afraid of? And what I was afraid of was the stigma. What I was afraid of was what other people were going to think of me. And I just, I'm looking at this friend who she got cancer and, and I'm just a, I'm just a bruiser, man. <laughs> this pales in comparison to what she's going through. And why am I so afraid of this? And, and I need to, I, I need to do this. I need to share it because if I can help one other person, it's worth it. And, but that, uh, that encounter with, with that dear friend snapped me like 180. I'm doing it. And I sat and wrote a post online. I had a, uh, a, a photographer friend take a picture, like a very serious picture of me, which is a hard thing to find. Um, <laughs> and I posted it online and there it was. And once it was out there, it was like, well, there it is. And all the fear of people pointing fingers and saying you're a bad person is absolute BS. That's not true. It didn't happen to me. And in fact, it's the opposite. The outpouring of love and support was overwhelming and has continued to be so. Like I say, I don't wave the silver flag. That's not really my style, but I am very open to talk about it. And um, yeah, it was a it was a process, and I think it's up to each individual. But I am certainly happy that I did it. Yeah, I found that there has been no negative <laughs> that I thought. I think that again, there's all these parts of your story, John, where these these people say like one liners, and they just change things for you. And I think that that is really beautiful. But I also think that. The fact that you're noticing and reflecting on those like specific moments is really beautiful as well. And so I just really appreciate the way you, you think about moments in your life. And I, um, I don't really have a question. I guess I just, it's an appreciation statement. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah. And I think also some of that, I know some of the examples you already talked about, you know, you weren't sober yet. But I do think there is a clarity that comes, at least for me, so I'll speak for me and I'll see what you think about this. But I'm remembering things from my childhood or from literally like four years ago that I didn't even remember happened. You know, I can stake in the ground like, oh, that was a pivotal moment for me now looking back, you know, 20 years later. I wonder if that happens for you too, where you feel like, would you be able to have this clarity and reflection of mind being still in a drinking environment or a drug using environment? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I think that it's kind of yes and no. I've always had a little bit of it. I've always been fairly tuned in to the world around me and connect with moments, with people, especially and moments with places that have had an impact. That has certainly been there my whole life, but it is undeniable how heightened my awareness has become since I've eliminated drugs and alcohol from my from my life. It is a power of 10 more profound when it happens and also in reflection on things that have already happened, just like you described. When I think back about moments in my life that really mattered or or forks in the road where I had to make a decision and made one and um, things like that that seem to have a huge impact. I now reflect on them much more deeply and more openly because I just feel very differently about myself and that um, 
it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's, it's one of the many evolutions that have happened in this last year. I mean, I really feel like I'm living in a renaissance right now. Like I, I, I have an extra gear in my mind right now. Like I think of like when you're riding your bike uphill and you, you, you're in granny gear, you're in the last one, the rings under your ass don't get bigger. Right. And you're, you're going along and you're tired and every once in a while on a long climb i'll like push on the lever again just to make sure like i'm all the way i don't know if you've ever done that but i was yeah. like <laughs> damn it there's no more gears this is all i have and i feel like in this last year and a half like quick i got another one yeah and you feel like this weight goes away I feel lighter and all of a sudden and and I look up the trail and I'm like I can go further than I ever thought I could Mm. it's it's but that not a not physical metaphor is the only way that I can relate and it it it, it's hard to describe the potential and hope that I feel in this clarity and um mindfulness that has come through sobriety yeah and i think one of the other beautiful things that have come out of this is dog smile so can you tell us a little bit about this amazing nonprofit that you've started in the wake of all this yeah it's a hell of a deal to start uh something from scratch but also it's the it's the most incredible thing i've ever done i, I mean it, it i've always wanted to do my own thing um, I grew up watching my dad be the boss and and I grew up observing how the people that worked on the farm looked at him and how he went out of his way to take care of them. And I've had several other supervisors or bosses along, along the way who have had that way and it's just always been like, I want to be that guy. I, I I have this burning desire to lead an organization and to put my name on it. Like I want to try to do things my way. And I think it's taken me all these years and all these various applications of outdoor education and guiding and and so on to figure out what that is. Like what is my way? I don't you know, and, and I don't think I realized it until just recently that I want to create a venue for healing i want to create a venue that is uh it's specifically focused on making people feel better because i i've observed it so many times along the way all all these moments i've had with people outside and i watch these ahas i watch their eyes open a little wider than they ever have i've watched people relax and I've watched people fall in love and I've watched it's like so many human transitions and, and, but it kind of wore off and it was like, what the hell is wrong with me? I, how could I possibly not want to go to work on a million dollar catamaran and take people through tropical islands and eat lobster? And like, how could I possibly not want to do that? <laughs> and what I've realized is that those people don't need me that someone else could be taking them on a vacation that I've got more to offer. And I want to give that opportunity of healing through the great outdoors to the people that don't have access to it. 
to those that can't afford that experience or are have some type of barrier, be it a physical or mental disability or circumstance beyond their control or circumstances that that mistakes they made and have, and have put them in a place where they don't have access. Whatever the barrier is, I want to work through that barrier and I want to give people those experiences and I want to do it for free if possible. And so I launched a nonprofit organization in September um, and just got my 501c3 like a couple weeks ago. And um, yeah, big deal. That's awesome. That's a a huge piece of paper. And it's a therapeutic sailing program. So the idea is that I will target underserved populations here in Idaho, where I am now. uh, I have my boat that I hauled all the way from Grenada to Idaho last year, which is a whole nother podcast. Um, <laughs> the proverbial hero's journey. Like it was, it was mind blowing. The whole deal it took me months and there was an outbreak of a global pandemic right in the middle of the trip. Um, so it was a hell of a deal just to get the boat up here. But yeah, now, but that only adds to my drive, but being like what I had to go through to get the thing here and launch this uh launch this program and i've never run a business in my life i've certain i have very little nonprofit experience i worked i was on a nonprofit board for a while but i didn't really get into the minutia of how they work i've never asked people for money really um so fundraising it's like diving into the deep end of the pool here in a big way but also like I can't wait. I, I've, I have not, there hasn't been a day yet where I've woke up and wanted to do anything else. Not oh. And it's starting to happen, which is the beautiful part about it. I'm sitting on the boat right now. I had guests yesterday. There's people on the boat this weekend. Um, I've had family groups coming out and I've been selling private lessons to raise money for the program that's starting to take off. And I have my first charity groups very soon, which I just, I'm over the moon with anticipation to finally get to do the thing, finally get to give it away. I could go on and on. And so I'll stop right yeah. there. That's, yeah. the, that's the gist of what's, of what's happening with Dogs and Adventures. Yeah. Well, not to give away the magic too much. So you don't have to give away anything you don't want to, but like, is there programming that's like you're on the boat, but you're kind of like going through workshoppy type of sessions. Like how does it work once someone comes on the boat and goes in one of these sessions? That's a great question. So I've um, outlined kind of the general three level experience at the basic level i call it discover sailing just come out for a boat ride you don't have to do anything just come sit on the boat and i will drive i will manage the boat and i'll bring crew if the conditions weren't that and you can just feel the wind in your hair and look at the scenery and if you haven't looked up lake ponderay idaho do it it looks like milford sound and you know this place is amazing um, so just come out and take a boat ride and feel better. So that's kind of the basic level. And then if people are more interested in sailing, then we can do more of an educational program. And so I have certain groups, especially the youth groups, where they're going to do better with a little process. And so we're going to teach people how to sail if they're if they're interested. And then the highest level, which I'm really excited about, is we're going to race sailboats. 
Um, and so there's a pretty thriving racing program here on Lake Ponderay. There's a couple of yacht clubs. There's racing four days a week, all summer long. There's a lot going on. And so wow. what I want to do, um, one population, for example, that I'm targeting is veterans. And so right now I'm working with the VA hospital in Spokane, Washington to become a certified provider of therapeutic recreation for the VA. This is, a, mm. this is incredibly it's a process, it's government, so it's not simple, but I'm working through it. But what that will create is then a pipeline of veterans, which can then create a consistent program and, and um, we train the group and then we have a race team and we race every week. Uh, because something I've learned along the way is I've been, I'm not a veteran myself, so I've put together a focus group of vets that are friends or friends of friends of mine. And I've asked them about therapeutic recreation because there's a lot of opportunities for veterans. There's a lots of programs out there. And I've asked these guys, I'm like, well, what'd you like? And what didn't you like? What was, what was done well and what wasn't done well. And what I heard over and over again was the problem is frequency. And what I mean by that is they go do some epic weekend of fly fishing in the mountains or one guy was telling me about like hunting wild boars on helicopters and, and like the vets all came down and they had this great weekend with great food and all the guys that were paying the bill were very happy with themselves for what they were doing. And then Monday morning, you're back in your basement staring at the same wall you were and you're not fixed. And I was like, Hmm, Okay. And so from those conversations like that, I'm like, so what we need is to create something that's with longevity that you can feel that you're a part of. You join this team and we're going to practice and we're going to race and we have this goal. We have task and purpose is what I hear from the military guys. Like it has to have task and purpose. And so the task being the sailing and the purpose being the community. Mm. Now you've got, you're a member of something and there are people counting on you and, and, and hopefully it's going to help somebody get out of bed. It's going to help somebody make a better decision because they got to make it to their sailing team race later. That's my dream with kind of that level. So with regards to the programming, it's going to be relative to the population. It's mm. going to depend. So I'm working with a group of autistic children and an occupational therapist that is super into anything tactile, anything where they feel like they are in control of something mm. and they are having an effect on whatever is going on. So I'm like, well, the sailboat's full of those things all the time. Um, the There's a women's shelter in Spokane, Washington that's going to come out. And this lady's like, I just want to get the girls out of the house. Mm. and breathe some fresh air so that's a completely different application i'm working on the on a program with tiny little boats for kids because the kids do better off on like one or two kids on their own little boat if i pile a bunch of them on here it's like jungle zoo crazy it doesn't work um, <laughs> but if they each get their own little boat and their little ducklings all trying to make it around the course it's highly effective and so i i don't want to target one population yeah i i I, right now, I'm kind of taking a shotgun approach to this and just like casting the widest net possible. And I know it's going to be a lot of trial and error. It's just going to take some people out. There's going to be groups that respond really well to it. And I hope to build a long lasting relationship. And then there's going to be groups that do it once and maybe they don't feel like it's for them. Like it, it doesn't, it, they don't bite. But right now, I'm just going to try it with as many as I can because I don't really have a connection to any one group. Yeah. I just have a connection to, the great outdoors and taking people outside. And I just, I, 
I don't, I've worked with so many different populations and I've never seen a group of people, age, race, whatever, that doesn't respond well to time outside. Like it just works. And I, and, and that's the driver for me is that I know I'm not inventing anything. I am certain to the, my very core that time outside makes people feel better. And I, I, there's no question there. And, and so that I can rest on that. And as long as I know that I'm just trying to make something happen that I know is acceptable, it gets me through the mountain of doubt and fear. And it's a bear starting something like, holy cow, what a deal. Yeah. Um, I've never been self-employed. I get up on Monday morning and I'm like, oh, I wonder what I should do now. Like I'm looking around. <laughs> like, like there's yeah. no boss, man. There's no time clock. There's no, uh, it's, it's a, it's a wild thing, but I'll tell you, it's liberating. It's, yeah. it's absolutely liberating. And, and I know for a fact that I would have never done this had I not gotten clean because I didn't have the gear that gear I talked about earlier. I hope I find a couple more of those gears, to be honest, because this will be a little bit easier. But, but <laughs> the reality is that I, I, I wouldn't have gotten, I, I wouldn't have even had the guts to attempt this mm. mission without that gear, without yeah. without everything I've gained through the process of, of sobriety. Yeah, absolutely. Well, also, side question, where's the name Dog Smile from? Oh man, uh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I um I had a uh, so the dog smiles is an expression. It's literally just the biggest smile possible, like mm. full teeth, huge grin, and dog smile being. When I was a kid, uh, there was a dog on the farm. It was a neighbor dog named Pepper, and Pepper used to smile. I don't know if you've ever seen a dog when yeah. some dogs when they get really excited they show their teeth. And very misunderstood. I always thought that dog was going to bite me. I ran from that dog. And finally, I remember my dad being like, hey, she's just really happy to see you. <laughs> and that that stuck. And I started making this face. And it's in like family pictures. And my mother hated it when I used to do it all the time. <laughs> Everyone's looking nice. And there's John in the back, like, just <laughs> going for it. And so the dog smile's been with me since I was a child. And um, I've been making that face my whole life. And now I just want to, you know, hopefully inspire somebody else to to feel that good that you're just smiling uncontrollably and you don't care what you look like and you're not worried about anything uh you're just in that moment and feeling good Mm. uh, yeah that's what that's what the name's all about i love it i love a good dog smile man i'm gonna use that all the time now That's great. You've given advice almost through your story today, but I would love to hear from you, you know, the same question I ask everyone, which is what's the first piece of advice you would give to someone if they came to you and they probably have too, but and said, John, I'm struggling. You know, I want to go into sobriety. I want to be in recovery. I want to, you know, not do this anymore, not have the same conversations with myself. What's the first piece of advice that you would give them? I would say thank you to them uh, for giving me the opportunity to help them and then do everything I could to try to give them you know, as much support as I can and hopefully inspire them to make the decision, you know, because it is a decision. I don't, I don't believe in intervention. I don't think that 
someone would have been able to shake me and tell me I needed to make a change. And until I made the decision, I don't think it would have happened. And, and so if anyone ever, and have, people have, if, if, when they reach out to me, I just, I just say thank you also, though, because I know that through AA, like, you know, the last step is helping others. And, and it's, again, like I mentioned, going back to the treatment center, it's not about helping them as much as, as it is about helping me. Mm. Every time I get to help somebody, I feel better about what I've done. And that is the key to longevity with this, with recovery as, and um, so, yeah, I would just thank them for the opportunity and then I would try to help. And the other thing I would say along those lines is, is I've had this conversation a few times, but for those of the people out there that are watching somebody go through this, um, I've had, a, I've had this conversation with a few of my close friends now that were really worried about me, but didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to say. They contemplated interventions. I didn't know about this, but there were conversations about like, should we mm. step in or not? Or, or but uh, that's those are hard conversations to have because it's painful to think about people being worried about what I was doing. But what I would say to anyone out there that is watching uh, someone spiral is to be diligent and watch and be there. And the moment that they crack the door open, you should kick it. But you can't kick that door in until they crack it open. And that's what I did. I opened up to a friend and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm scared, but I have got to stop and I can't stop and I don't know how to stop. And that friend literally grabbed me by the collar, like yeah. grabbed me and was like, we're doing this right now. And he yeah. had been waiting for that moment. He had been watching me kill myself slowly over time and agonizingly brutal to see but i gave him the chance and he took it and so i just wanted to say that for for, for someone who's out there and we i mean i everybody knows somebody it's it's a, this is a real thing i mean it's a it's a it's all over it's all around us addiction is just so prevalent and so i don't know that there's too many people that don't know someone who's dealing with it and it's a hard thing to watch but that's just something i want to share it's that you kind of got to wait for your window but when it when it's there don't hesitate because mm. it's going to close quickly if if that friend of mine would have hesitated for even a minute i would shut that door again and who knows where my life would be right now mm. that is good and heavy and good you know thanks john for spending some time with us today and coming on and sharing your story. I, I really appreciate it. And um, I know our, our people will as well. So thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you, Emily. John, 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 John. Wow. An incredible guy. I think I should say, though, we were introduced from Shannon Walton, who was a guest on season one. So if you haven't listened to Shannon's episode yet, make sure you go listen to that. She's incredible. And she introduced me and John, I don't know, end of last year. And I'm so excited because, you know, you just meet someone and you 
either can feel that they're going to have an effect on you or you feel that there's some sort of like kindred spirit there. All to say, I felt that with John and I got really choked up while he was talking in a lot of cases and I really got like teary eyed. And, and of course, we talk about hard stuff on this podcast and I'm not desensitized it, but I'm used to it in a way. But this one got me, got me really in my feelings there. And I just walked away feeling so absolutely full of gratitude to be able to have these conversations. The way that he is so self-aware, talks a lot about these small moments in his life that meant a lot to him and helped him push through certain aspects or get over certain things, if you will. It's just beautiful. And I think I'm just so excited about his nonprofit Dog Smile Adventures. And I'll put all of the information in the show links. In the show links? No. In the show notes. Yes, Emily, you got this. First episode of new season. You got to get the kinks out. Am I right? No one's listening to me right now, so they're not going to (laughs) respond. This is the kind of fun banter I'm having with myself for season two. So just stay, stay tuned in if you want more of this. Anyways, thank you, John, for coming on. It was an awesome conversation, and I'd love to hear about what you took away from it. So if you want to reach out, please do. On Instagram, it's Nature Untold Podcast. On Facebook, it's Nature Untold Collective. And we have a Patreon page if you'd like to subscribe and support the show in that way as well. And as always, um, subscribe and anything you can do to give some ratings or reviews. We super appreciate that. It helps us get discovered more naturally as well. Thank you so much. And we'll catch you next week.